0: You're listening to Podketeers. Welcome to episode 263 of Podketeers. This week, we catch up with some news regarding the Main Street Cinema, Disney officially dispelling rumors about the Tiki Room and the Country Bear Jamboree at Disney World, plus Gavin breaks down some of the history of New Orleans Square. We are officially signed up for the Chalk Walk. Since we're getting into this a little later than we anticipated, we're setting a very modest goal to try to raise $500 we're going to be working on some fundraising auctions so keep an eye out for that on our social media just search for podcateers on instagram facebook and on twitter if you're not following us obviously we would love to raise as much as possible even beyond that 500 dollars goal since the money is going to help out the children at chalk so we would greatly appreciate it if you could repost our link or share it with your family and friends or hey join the team You know, help us raise money and come walk with us around Disneyland. The Chop Walk is on Sunday, August 11th. We always have a great time walking together. And of course, it's for an amazing cause. For more information on making a donation, joining the team, or general information about Team Boat Willie, you can go to teamboatwilly.com. Before we start this episode, I want to send a big thanks out to the FGP squad, our Podcast Fairy Godparents, because it's their monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you like what you hear and would like to help us grow, you can head to podcateers.com FGP for more info on how you can join the FGP squad or even provide a one-time donation. Plus, signing up for the monthly contribution also gets you the official Podcast Fairy Godparents button you're eligible for giveaways and all sorts of other good stuff once again a huge thank you goes out to the fgp squad for their support and for more info go to slash fgp all right i think that's gonna wrap it for this one i think it's time to get this podcast rolling so here we go this is episode 263 of podcateers I gotta tell you man i'm still uh on a bit of a high from our very first live stream oh yeah that was that was pretty cool man it was kind of surreal i remember yeah it was a different experience for sure yeah i remember going into it just being super super nervous um probably because i Spent so much time working on getting the logistics okay, worried Mm -hmm. whether or not my computer was going to be able to handle it, considering it's chugging along as best as possible right now. But overall, I think it went really well.
1: Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I I was really surprised at how fast it went. You know, we filled up an hour really quickly and that was that was the biggest surprise to me. But I really liked it. I liked the instant interaction with the listeners. I thought that part of it was really cool. Yeah. So, to me that's the best part of it because I think it's probably going to be the most like active engagement we've really ever done on Podcateers. you yeah. Cuz it's hard, you know, on instagram and facebook and twitter like spread out like that it's hard to you know really interact with everybody in a real way but on that it's it's live it's you know it's it's happening it's grooving it's cool i like it plus you never know what's going to happen because it's
0: live right right so anything could happen i think that was also and i think anything did a couple of times (laughs)
1: Uh, I I was watching back when that firework went off outside my window and my face was truly surprised. (laughs) You
0: look like deer in the headlights like, oh God, what just happened? It it was pretty priceless.
1: I feel like, because I'm next to the window here, and I feel like the firework was about 20 feet away from my seat. Like, it was really close. Yeah,
0: that is pretty close.
1: And it was pretty loud.
0: But, yeah, like Mm -hmm. you said, the hour just flew by. I had uh, just a handful of, like, starter questions that I thought that we might throw out Mm -hmm. into the chat. The chat reacted really well. Uh, I mean, considering that we only had a couple of little snags in, like, the transitions and stuff like that, overall, dude, we came out of this with a W.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, That one was, for our first stream, it was really successful. You know, you talked about the graphics. I've seen the graphics, and I've seen the transitions, and you did a freaking fantastic job designing those. Thanks, man. They look sick. Uh, you know, if, if we may need to boost the flux capacitor or whatever to get them to, uh, you know, be smooth during live transmission, but we'll get that all figured out. And once we do, people are going to be really impressed because it looks fantastic. Thank you. I mean, if you can make me look sexy on YouTube, you've done a great job.
0: you do that yourself, buddy. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Well, as soon as we were done, I was looking at all the files and thinking, how can I shrink this? How can I make it smaller? What can I do to shrink this animation to get it to go faster? And I did, I created a new version of the animations that's half of the size and it's half of the time. So the transition happens just slightly faster, different Mm -hmm. type of transition, but overall that it's just what we need, right? Just a quick transition screen. We can cut from one to another, but that's boring. That's not how they do it on TV. I I, want to like to do it on TV. I know. (laughs) So, like you said, growing pains will get better as we go. The idea is to do one live stream for the FGP Squad Monthly, and we're going to aim to do another live stream just that's open to the public. And we're thinking possibly doing it after the fourth episode of the month when we do the armchair imagineering because I feel that there's a lot of people that want to talk to us about our ideas and what their Mm -hmm. ideas are and so we're thinking if we do it after the armchair imagineering episodes it might be the best time to have everybody just jump in and share their ideas so we're going to work on that a little bit more work out a few more things logistically make sure that we're that we're okay to stream and pick a day and time and of course we'll post that on our social media so if you're not following us podcateers on facebook instagram and on twitter as nervous as i was i'm i'm really looking forward to the next one it's gonna be cool yeah it's gonna be cool i'm, I'm excited too one thing that i mentioned in the live stream was oh dude oh my so Remember how I mentioned that I was looking at new products for the gear mm-hmm. section and for like fundraising things that we could have for Team Boat Willie. So I decided that I wanted to put together these pop socket things. And so I oh, got yes. pricing, you know, how much it would cost to get them made and how much it would cost to print them. And I thought, you know what? just get blank ones. We can print our own logos and we can make as many as we need. And I made these and they look horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Home job. (laughs) (laughs) They're uh, they're so rough. They have the brush strokes on them. You Mm -hmm. know, I had these really nice prints made so that I, I even got this cool little circle cutter that's exactly the size of the pop socket. Nice. And when I went to, to mod podge them on, uh, my little foam brush uh, created bubbles. I had a little needle here sitting there popping bubbles and everything, thinking, yeah, oh this is going to be gosh. great. And then when they dried, they look like they're all, like, scratched mm-hmm, like because mm-hmm. of the brush strokes. And if you guys are following yeah. us on Instagram, you may have seen this already because, quite frankly, they are nasty looking. So, these obviously will never go out into the world. Maybe I'll attach them to my phone and they'll be like my test ones or something. But <sighs> I have a newfound respect for crafters because <laughs> this was way more difficult than I thought it was going to be.
1: That's funny. Was that your first attempt at uh, decoupage? What's a decoupage? Dude, bro. Decoupage is the technique that you used where you're basically gluing a paper something onto something else with a brush why don't you just call it glue brushing i didn't make this up i don't know who invented the term and why it's that but that's what it's called and that's that's how mod podge gets its name is from deco uh, why you don't say glue brush glue brush <laughs> so is this your first
0: glue brush job it's it's the first one where i feel that it's counted because i've used it to gloss up other things but it wasn't uh it wasn't ever meant for sale like it's stuff that i wanted to preserve and stuff like that so i mean if it came out rough i didn't really care and i was a lot messier doing it before but in this instance i really tried like i'm telling you i had the little needle there to pop the bubbles and i really tried
1: but maybe it's not the right product for what i'm saying have stickers made at the right size and just stick them on buddy
0: yeah i i I guess (laughs) i
1: could do that yeah that's all i'm saying yeah i don't know
0: we'll figure it out because i do i do like the idea of having these pop sockets that we can give out to people but i mean look i've already been criticized on instagram for how crappy they were so (laughs) <laughs> We're just going to leave it there. <laughs> All right. All First right. attempt. We'll leave, that. we'll leave that alone for sure. First attempt has been closed. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure out the logistics for that later. Um, so like I was talking about, uh, we, we wanted to have these products because we want to have stuff available for uh, our fundraising events. And our next fundraising event has already been announced on Instagram. It is the Chalk Walk uh, we've done the Chalk Walk for several years now. My wife and I have done this for 12 or 13 years at this point. I, I've lost count, but we've done it a lot. And this is going to be our third year out as Team Boat Willie. Uh, I'm super excited about the opportunity to go out again. We are signing up a little bit later than we had originally planned, really. Uh, so because of that, we have a very, very modest goal, 500 bucks. I think that if we can reach that 500 bucks, you know, we'll be okay. If you want to donate to the team or if you want to walk with us, you can head over to chalkwalk.org/teamboatwilly or you can get a little bit more information about the team and a link to sign up or make a donation to either the team or to any of us by going to teamboatwilly.com. Super easy to remember because it's just like Steamboat Willy, toot toot but without the s.com Dot com have to change it or cause you know Yeah you
1: gotta do the little run Yeah, I I gotta yeah. do something a little, little more vibrato
0: because yeah. you know I don't want them to sue us or anything. So you know yeah, copyright. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get that copyright strike when this goes up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my god <laughs> If they flagged you for that that's just you'd be petty. surprised what we've been flagged for before. <laughs> ridiculous
0: uh so yeah so chalkwalk.org slash teamboat we'd love to have you be a part of the team the chalkwalk is happening on sunday august 11th at disneyland and again we've had so much fun doing it we hope you can join us and if you can't we'd love if you can offer a donation to help the children of chalk in anticipation of the upcoming donations we just want to thank you all in advance for your support Oh, dude! Did you see that they changed the Main Street Cinema back? Since we're talking about Disneyland already.
1: Yes. Okay. And, rightly
0: so. (laughs) So we got the news that they changed the cinema back like the day after we recorded the last episode.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And I'm I'm a little surprised, and yet I'm not surprised that this change happened. You know, I've seen a lot of criticism on Twitter, you know, going in both directions, but I, I didn't see many people posting this, but I did see a couple people say, oh, we finally see Disneyland folding to the pressure. And I, I don't necessarily see it that way. I mm-hmm. see it as and, – and I think this all goes back to Josh Demaro because – I think he has a really good idea about the pulse of the park and how things should be preserved. And uh, somehow when mistakes are made, he's quick to try to rectify those mistakes. And I kind of feel like this was his doing. It may not have been, but I feel like it may have been his calling to say, you know what, let's just change it back. Let's not even deal with this. It should not have been a shop to begin with. Like,
1: what do you think? Well, I think that it um, it further proves, like, like we need any further evidence, but, uh, you know, Disney is listening to our podcast. <laughs> and based on the timing of this change, I think clearly they have one or more of us bugged uh, because they know that we give them the best ideas. Uh, either that or we're prophetic, because it just seems like everything we do is copied by Disney. So still waiting on that check. Seriously, why are we not on our <laughs> payroll? No, in all seriousness, I think this was a good move. Uh, you know, I, I don't see it as folding to the pressure. I see it as listening to, like you said, the pulse of the park and the audience response. I think you hit it really, really on the head. Uh, when you said that, you know, there aren't very many sacred places left in Disneyland that are untouchable. And that was one of the very few pretty much original attractions that had gone unchanged. You know, there's been some minor tweaks, but it's it's basically one of the original spots. Yeah. And it speaks so much to the legacy of the park that, you know, it's it's very special to a lot of people. So I'm I'm glad they reinstated it and I feel like Main Street is right again. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that they
0: they have been doing this a little bit more and one of the most interesting things that I saw this last week was the fact that they were responding to blogger posts about rumors about the Tiki Room changing and the Country Bears going away. And Mm -hmm. it's unlike anything I've ever seen before when it comes to Disneyland and the Disney company responding to these types of posts. You know, one of the reasons that we've primarily stayed away from rumors, uh, especially reporting on them as fact, is because they're just that. They're rumors and rumors are sometimes fun to speculate over because you know, it might spark some ideas in what we would like to see or what might be coming. It's just basically inspiration like for us for like Armchair Imagineering, for instance, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But part of the reason we've always stayed away from reporting on those rumors is because you just never know where the source is. You don't know how valid it is, and we tend to report things once Disneyland reports on it because that's when we know that it's fact. But it was very interesting to see them respond to these posts, but not just respond to them, leave the comments that were calling out the websites that were reporting on this. I thought that mm. was
1: a really interesting approach at fighting yeah. back at these rumors. I, I'm going to show a lot of social media ignorance here because I I don't read the text on instagram like ever uh i'm there for the pictures uh so (laughs) honestly i I follow all art accounts and that's what i'm there for uh so i like i don't really read the disney posts um so i mean what is so different about that approach do they usually just ignore it first of all to comment on
0: what you just said about instagram as it should be because that's what (laughs) instagram should be about the pictures just saying these posts actually were on the Disney blog. Oh, the Disney Parks blog? The Disney Parks blog, yeah. Oh, okay. And that's actually part of why it's so interesting that they took this approach because m- most of the time Disney will ignore the rumor mill, right? Mm-hmm. They'll they'll just kind of let it happen. And they really never step in. Sometimes they'll make an announcement that's correlated to those rumors uh, to squash them. But they never indirectly, directly call these people out. Okay, yeah. When comments are approved on the site, they're usually not approved to include calling people out. Right. And some of these posts were directly calling out the sites where these rumors began. Now, I can't Ah. speak for where they got their information. Obviously, I don't know who their source is, and I'm not here to bash those websites. I'm just here saying that it was an interesting approach as how the disney blog approached these particular scenarios talking about the tiki room getting this overhaul and that the country bears were going to go away it's unlike them to do it i i honestly don't know what to think about this
1: <laughs> Yeah. do you think it it's different between disneyland and disney world because these rumors were about disney world right
0: yeah, but the Disney blog covers both parks.
1: I know, but I, I wonder if approval is different for each resource resort. Oh, sorry. interesting. You know what I mean? Like if – who did you talk about before? Josh. Josh Demorrow. Demorrow. If he approves Disneyland stuff or his team, and then whoever runs Disney World approves their stuff. You know what I mean? Interesting. Or if it's just whoever's above all of them. You know, I, I don't know what drives that engine. Uh, well, but... like,
0: I think above all of them is Bob Chapek. Sure, sure. So, that makes
1: sense. Yeah. I, I mean, know, it, there may be a new kind of sensitivity because of the fairly vast changes that they've done, both at the Disneyland Resort and Walt Disney World over the last three or four years, you know, with um, complete annihilations of lands like A Bug's Land. Um, with complete overhauls of parks like Hollywood studios, which is basically being completely rebranded almost. Yeah. Um, and even, uh, again at Disneyland with the, uh, abbreviation of the rivers of America and the, um, you know, the getting rid of big thunder ranch, I can understand how they would want to quell some rumors about, oh, well, they're not afraid to tear down anything, yeah. you know? and if if we think that this area might be an area for expansion then bye-bye country bears and so i can see why they would want to maybe kind of quiet some of those fears right now because they have made a lot of fairly broad sweeping changes over the last couple of years yeah no i can see that i can see that yeah I, it was it
0: was uncommon for you to see something like that And I think that we might see a little bit more of this, especially now that D23 is coming up, because obviously, one of the biggest problems with the internet is that, you know, when things leak, most of the time people have all the information out before the convention happens or before the presentation happens or before the movie gets released. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about this before uh, Endgame came out. You know, I did my best to stay off of all the sites that I frequent because most of them were posting all these rumors about what was possibly going to happen and possible spoilers. And I wanted to go into it as clean as possible. I wanted to make sure that I enjoyed the film. I I stayed away from all those rumors. And, yeah, maybe that's why they're they're kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, striking back. But I don't know. Uh, I... Hmm. It's a good way to protect the things that they're doing, but you know I guess we'll see as, as more of these things come out because rumors are never going to go away, right? Mm-hmm. You hear from somebody, or you kind of hear a conversation happening somewhere else, and especially when you're walking around the park, there's always people walking around that develop the park, and things that cast members hear in the background, but like I said, that's why we've always tended to stay away from the rumors themselves, And usually tend to talk about things once the Disneyland blog posts it. Because then we know it's actually legit. And whenever we have talked about rumors, we do it, you know, just kind of like a, hey, how would you like to see this type thing? So, um, speaking of something that's not a rumor, and since we're talking about the Expo, the Simpsons are going to D23.
1: Oh, my gosh. Springfield and Anaheim. What? Dude. (laughs)
0: Have they made any other announcements that any other Fox properties are going to be there?
1: Uh, Not that I've seen, but they may have. Uh, I saw that one. um, I actually just saw it today. It was an email from a couple days ago. But uh, that is, you know, when they bought Fox, I knew that the Simpsons were going to be a major player because they're as iconic as anything. But having them at D twenty three, it's a little. It might be a little too soon, you know. Right? It might be. It's gonna be a little jarring. Uh, I don't know what to expect. I really don't. I, I love The Simpsons. I am a huge fan. You know, I remember very, very clearly uh, the day that they debuted on with their own show on television. You know, after they had their little run on the Tracy Ullman show, uh, and you know, it was big news. It was like the South Park of its day, you know, it was yeah. edgy, it was experimental, it was primetime cartoons that hadn't been a thing since the 60s. And man, they they're still kicking yeah. and they're just a worldwide phenomenon. And so as a cartoon entity, do I kind of secretly love that they're now part of the Disney pantheon? Yeah, of course because they're they're cartoon royalty to me. And what better place to be than under the what is now giant Disney umbrella. But yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, by the way, I was able to move the stuff
0: around for myself <sighs> to go to D23 uh-huh. except that I only had a ticket for Friday because uh-huh. I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss the the, the legends. legends. Yeah. Uh, and they're sold out for Saturday.
1: <laughs> so oh, I'm only Sunday? going Friday and Sunday again. <laughs> oh, okay. Friday and Sunday. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'll be there on Saturday uh, to uh, try and gather up as much expo as possible. Awesome. Well, if anybody
0: has an extra ticket that they're willing to give to me or sell to me so that I can go <laughs> on Saturday, let me know. Oh, Send man. me a DM because I do want to go now. Especially now that I've arranged all that other stuff, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, all right, I got the win on that one. Oh, no, it's sold out.
1: <laughs> you can at least come hang out in the Esplanade, get some food trucks. <laughs> I could
0: be total creeper status, but <laughs> maybe I could just be a part of somebody's large costume and I there can like, sneak in. I'll be like a trash can <laughs> and I'll just very go. slowly wheel it into the convention center. <laughs> Because that's always worked out. Right. (laughs) Heck Yeah. Oh, uh, one last thing that I wanted to talk about before we move on to today's topic. I'm really excited about it today. Gavin's going to be telling us about New Orleans Square. But one, have you seen or continue to see how empty the park has been since Galaxy's Edge opened?
1: Man, you know, with, with my move and then my long business trip that followed, um, I haven't been back to the park um, in almost a month now. Really? And it's it's driving me crazy because I keep hearing that it's paradise right now. Dude. With no crowds, no long queue lines, easy access even to Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. And that is... And I told you this might be this was my secret hope, and this might be the case. I think people are afraid. Yeah, they were afraid that it was going to be such a mob scene that they're staying away, and it's to the point where Disney's actually having to adjust some of their restrictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you hear about the annual pass holder like bring a friend, they can get a park hopper for a hundred bucks deal?
0: Yes. Uh, fantastic
1: deal, by the way.
0: If yeah. you know somebody that has an AP, this is a great time to get uh, a Park Hopper uh, yeah. because 99 bucks is a price that we haven't seen in quite some time, especially now that we have the peak times, but... Aside from that, they also lifted the cast member restrictions that were set to be lifted, I believe, in August. I'm not exactly sure, but it sounded like August was when cast members were going to be allowed back into the park. That was lifted, too. And, you know, the the virtual queue that they created for entering Galaxy's Edge, the first few days, it looks like people were were slamming it, trying to get into it, and by 1 or 2 o'clock you were basically just able to walk in. Mm -hmm. And so that fear, I think, is real. I think it went a little too far because I haven't seen Disneyland
1: this empty in, I don't know, a decade and a half, maybe? Yeah. Well, it's weird because all of the calendar pushing that they've done over the last several years – It has made the summer like the end of June and all of July actually a great time to go if you can stand the heat because they block out so many passes. You know, that summer vacation section of the year used to always be just packed. You know, it was just the worst. Um, I remember growing up um, in Utah, our school year ended like two weeks before. The school year did in Southern California. So we would always plan our Disneyland trip for somewhere in those two weeks to beat the summer vacation. Yeah. Because summer vacation was when it got packed. Now it hasn't been. And you combine that with this weird reaction of people not wanting to go because they think Star Wars is going to create this, you know, total overcrowded uh, effect it's just weird, like doubling up on unintended consequences. Yeah. And it's, it's
0: just so weird, man, because when you look at uh, the Hagrid attraction, uh, I forgot exactly what it's called over in Florida. Like mm-hmm. people are still reporting that they're waiting up to 10 hours. What? And I don't know how true that is. It could just be like internet hype. Right. But people are lining up. They don't have a virtual queue. They don't have like any of these other things set up. It's just a really great attraction, and yeah. I'm I'm confused about what's happening because I think the Millennium Falcon attraction is good, you know, and I think the land is absolutely gorgeous, but like you said, the scare tactics
1: may have worked a little too well. Yeah, that's it's crazy. I, it really is crazy. You'd think that it would only last for like a week, and then everybody would be like, "Hey, Californians, it's." Not crowded because nobody's showing up, and then everybody go like, "Oh, cool, let's show up," and then it would be crowded, right? Yeah. But it persists for some reason. I get everybody's like waiting for the other shoe to drop or something. Yeah. I'm just waiting for some freaking time I can go to the park. (laughs) I kind of feel the same. I feel the same, and
0: I hope I can make it with all these five-minute queues intact. Right. Because it'll be super nice. (laughs) Yeah, and like Peter Pan is only a
1: two-hour wait now.
0: Yeah, it's the shortest it's ever been. Ever. Right.
1: yeah
0: <laughs> uh well if any of you have had a chance to go to the park i mean look because we haven't been there to see it in person we really are only seeing that side of the coin so mm-hmm, quite possibly mm-hmm. a lot of the people that are going maybe they're going so early in the morning that the crowds haven't gotten there maybe people are waiting for the sun to go down so that it's not so hot walking around And then Mm -hmm. they can enjoy the evening. Because I've seen a lot of posts during the day, but I haven't seen the posts at night yet. And I think that's what I want to see. I want to see how many people are going like 3, 4 p.m. Because I have seen the Disneyland Twitter account uh, post that Mickey and Friends is full. Obviously, that doesn't mean much because they like to close it when full floors are open. Yeah, But... They tend to do it when they know they're going to have a bigger crowd at a specific time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would love to see the posts of people at night to see what the contrast is, because I just it's just baffling to me how these these crowd levels have remained so low. And something that's made me a little angry is why are people taking the sporks from Galaxy's Edge? this is why we can't have nice things because people take them and post them on ebay
1: so uh i don't know what these sporks are are they metal sporks they are metal sporks that don't have the
0: prongs on the front they're slightly askew to the left so it's like a a metal like alien spork and so whenever you would order your food you get it as part of your meal and you're supposed to put it back at uh docking bay seven
1: Oh, is okay. is the
0: primary place where I, where we got ours. But when you're done with your meal, you're supposed to leave it there so they can wash it and yeah. they can, you know, give it to somebody else. I've heard conflicting reports on what the number was that they actually had to start with, so I can't quote an actual number. But apparently, they've lost more than three quarters of them, and
1: people are just posting them on eBay trying to sell them unbelievable you know that's so disappointing it is like why do people feel they've got the right to just steal i mean blatantly steal uh uh, yeah that's sad and you know it happened previously with the menus from the cantina you know they stopped Mm -hmm. uh handing those out because people were just taking off with those yep and yeah it's it's really sad it's like i you know i get it it's expensive to go to disneyland it's unfortunately it's not accessible to everybody because of that expense but you know that going into it and it's not like disneyland stole your money to get there so there's no justification for trying to recoup a cost or anything like that that's just greediness yeah and opportunism and i don't like those people yeah
0: yeah yeah, I'm with you, man. It's, it's really horrible. I, I don't know what the approach is going to be to correct this going forward. More than likely, they're probably just going to have plastic forks. Uh, I don't. I haven't been there to know, but I know that mm-hmm. they have stopped passing out the regular metal sporks now. And that's disappointing because I feel like I only had a chance to use them once, and had I known that, I would have at least taken a damn picture with my food and the sport. Well, I
1: never even saw them. I don't even know what they look like. Oh no! And I probably never will. Check eBay. You'll see tons of what they look like. eBay's the worst. It's uh, just just I feel like it's a black market. It's all just stolen goods.
0: (gasps) It's Hondo's black
1: market. Oh my gosh, dude. Don't
0: it's, try and make it magical. It's Hondo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to make it magical. I'm very disappointed about it, as a matter of yeah,
1: fact. Yeah, it's it's really unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, enough talking about that. Before we continue and we move on to our main topic... Uh, I do want to remind you that this episode, like many others, is brought to you by the generosity of the FGP Squad, our podcast, Fairy Godparents, because it's their support via Patreon that help make these episodes possible. So first of all, we just want to send a huge thank you to the FGP Squad, as always, for their support. If you want a little bit more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcateers.com slash FGP. You'll learn a little bit about what it is, how it started. And then there's a link for you to make a one-time donation via Patreon or to sign up on a monthly basis to help support the podcast. So if you like what you hear, that's a really great way to help us grow. And of course, again, to everyone on the FGP squad, a huge thank you goes out to you for your support. Yep. Super. Thanks. All right, man. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cause I'm ready to hear about Nawlins Square. Am I Sweet. supposed to say it like that? Cause I've always heard conflicting. That's Nawlins. That's that I'm I'm saying it wrong, and I'm always afraid that
1: I'm saying it wrong. You were close enough, man. All right, that's good. Uh, and I, and I can I can vouch for that because my mom is from Louisiana, so.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. Well, then Tiana, <laughs> and hopefully your mom would be proud that I got that close. <laughs>
1: Cool, <laughs> cool, cool. All right, so let's do this thing. All right, well, as Hazen said, today we're going to talk a little bit about my favorite land, New Orleans Square. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, woo. <laughs> so New Orleans Square uh, is very, very different than any other land at Disneyland. It was actually the first permanent land added to Disneyland since its opening day. And it's been followed by Bear Country slash Critter Country, Mickey's Toontown, and of course, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. But there's still nothing quite like New Orleans Square. It is a winding, charming, asymmetrical set of three blocks that aren't square at all. Uh, The narrow avenues of Royal Street, Orleans Street, and Front Street chop up the intricately detailed clusters of buildings and set the mood of exploration, discovery, and quaintness that's expected of the very best Disney-themed lands both then and now. Uh, The whole land is just infused with magical details. Architectural delights are just the beginning. While you stroll the lanes of the square, you'll discover many nooks, crannies, and hidden gems throughout, and the air is often filled with music just like the city that inspired it. And one of the coolest things is if you listen closely, you can often hear the citizens of New Orleans Square going about their daily lives in the upper levels of the buildings. So this was the first time outside of Main Street that they added sound effects like this where, you know, the business owners and and people that lived, you know, in the places above the shops, uh, you could hear them and what was going on in their lives. So it's really cool. They've done that in a couple places throughout the resort. And can I say that when you're along uh, Rue Royale, that Mm -hmm. it
0: feels more of a hustle and bustle than it does on Main Street. And yet, Mm -hmm. just the sound effects really make it feel that there's so much going on around you. Yeah. As compared to like one or two sound effects that you happen to hear on Main Street. Because
1: on Main Street, you hear more music. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. And a part of that is heightened by the narrowness of those streets in New Orleans Square. Yeah, you know, it kind of yeah. has that tight, like I'm really cruising down a narrow lane with lots going on, like street vendors and artisans. And you can hear things going on above. And if you're lucky, you can hear some jazz music playing. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a feast for the eyes and ears everywhere you go. And sometimes the nose. And the nose, yeah. Uh, and actually the belly too because there's lots of restaurants there (laughs) Mm, delicious yeah Uh, (laughs) one of my favorite details is that of the ship sails which you can see high above the roof line of the buildings at the back of the land Uh, a lot of people never notice these ship sails but you can see them quite easily when you're looking at new orleans square from afar from uh, like in front of pirates of the caribbean where it meets the rivers of america uh, but those ship sails are actually a nod to the actual geography of New Orleans. Many sections of the city are actually below sea level. So you see ship sails, you know, way above you, way above what you would normally see them uh, from a normal perspective if you're at or above sea level. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool nod. Yeah. Yeah. Those sales actually also hide some searchlights, which is kind of cool too. Uh, I wish they were still as clever about hiding um, show lights on Main Street, but uh, or in they seem
0: fantasmic.
1: Yeah, they seem to be all about the show <laughs> rather than the uh, other things sometimes. Anyway, I don't want a tangent. <laughs> uh, new Orleans Square brought many new innovations to the park. So the attractions were the first innovation. They were the most epic attractions yet and required innovative ride systems and even in a, even more innovative staging. So for the first time ever, attraction show buildings had to extend beyond the bounds of the berm because they were so big. So this is the first time ever that the Disney Imagineers had guests travel underneath the railroad track and out into really big show buildings beyond the border of the park. And it really allowed for them to create these big, you know, bar setting attractions. You know, they became the new level of what e-ticket really was, you know, when, when these attractions came out. Um, a lot of the ride systems of course were, you know, developed over many years and were Drastically influenced by the rides that they created for the World's Fair in the mid 60s, Um, you know, they they helped them further develop their Omnimover system for the Haunted Mansion and of of course the boat water ride system uh, from Small World went into Pirates uh, with some added updates. Uh, And really, those two attractions, for my money, have set the standard for themed attractions around the world for five decades now. You know, they're still amongst the very best in theming when it comes to attractions. And, uh, you know, I believe they can go toe to toe with anything, really. You know, they may not be as technically advanced as some of the more contemporary attractions, but Pirates and Mansion hard to beat. They are hard to beat. <laughs> really and,
0: hard to beat. And it's crazy because when you think about what's how they've stepped it up every time they've replicated the attractions around the world. Yeah. You know, they set the standard, but they also gave themselves a new goal every single one. Mm-hmm. And every time I feel like they've just stepped it up with the exception yeah. I've heard of Pirates at Walt Disney World. I've never seen it before, but I've heard that the one here is vastly superior.
1: I'm biased, of course, but yes, it is um, partly due to the fact that it is so much longer in Disneyland. Um, A full third, almost a half as long. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's really long comparatively. And here in Disneyland, you have two drops. In Disney World, you have one. And then in Disney World, you don't have that whole first grotto section with all the rooms that you go through in the sea caves and all that. Um I don't want to get too far into it because eventually we will do a Pirates of the Caribbean episode and um I won't go back into all the details of Haunted Mansion either since the podcast has already covered that in depth as are have, have we? I mean our resident Haunted Mansion <laughs> expert uh <laughs> has delved into it on one particular episode but really any chance he gets uh which is all, uh, which is fine cuz it's awesome. episode yeah. Yeah. It deserves it. That's cool. And I'm sure it'll come up again later this episode. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, for sure. So, like, to me, you know, obviously any of the lands uh, center around the attractions because that's what I'm most interested in. Um, But the New Orleans Square brought so much else. You know, it brought this this idea of uh, a cultural city in America and it was the first time that Disney brought us theming that was of truly a truly specific place. You know? You know, Frontierland gave us kind of the general idea of the American West and Adventureland gave us the general idea of many parts of the tropical world. And this was the first time they gave us something that was really, really palpable and recognizable. And so It really is a unique place, you know, even with newly themed lands like Galaxy's Edge, which have a whole different level of theming, just absolutely brought the realism and the feeling of stepping into a movie. Uh, New Orleans Square brought the idea and the romance of stepping into an iconic American city but it's a romanticized idealized version. Yeah. You know, it's it's cleaner, it's, you know, safer. It's you know, it's it's magical. It's got Disney magic all throughout it and you know, it it really to me set the bar for theming of lands as well. And so it you know, to me it's it's still the the greatest land that they've ever created. And then To top it all off, you've got the best restaurants in the park, basically all in New Orleans Square, you know, and it it's a really spectacular place, Uh, you know, and of course, the crown jewel being Club 33 and, you know, Club 33 uh, is still on my bucket list. I know certain other people on this episode have checked it off their bucket list. Not necessarily
0: not not on this episode, but other people on the podcast have. Okay. Because and I just want to clarify, we went in and had a quick drink, but we didn't get a chance to dine there. Okay. So to get an opportunity to dine there or maybe have another drink again in the salon would be fantastic one day. Got it. But Got it, it. it really was like a go in and go out sort of thing because uh. I, I don't want to get into the whole story, but it was technically for my wife's birthday we weren't able to really enjoy a long period of time, but we have been in there. And I guess that's kind of like the,
1: you know, (laughs) at least we've seen it type thing. Yes. Yes. That's more than I've experienced my friend. It's still fully on my bucket list. Uh, Hopefully one day I'll get to experience that. Uh, But, but, you know, I kind of want to go through a little bit of the timeline of new Orleans square because it is very long, you know, the timeline um, from, conception to the opening of Haunted Mansion is roughly the same amount of time that uh, Disneyland itself took, you know, from the first idea that Walt had for a park until opening day in 1955. Um, You know, the first ideas for New Orleans Square actually happened in the early to mid 50s. And the Imagineers actually began concepting in 1957. Um, And as we know, we're approaching the 50th anniversary of the Haunted Mansion. So it opened in 1969. So, you know, we're dealing with fully 12 years, maybe more like 15 total years of Concepts and ideas culminating in what eventually crystallized as New Orleans Square. So it's, yeah. it's kind of got this long patchwork of a history. Um, so, it, like I said, 1957, the Imagineers uh, were tasked with putting together some sketches for an idea of a New Orleans style area. Um, In 1959, they brought Raleigh Crump and Yale Gracie on board to specifically begin developing concepts for the Haunted Mansion. That's a full 10 years before that attraction opened, if you're keeping track here. Um, And as early as 1961, Disneyland souvenir books actually began showing previews of the forthcoming land. Uh, So they were like... They were super jumping the gun, (laughs) but they were ready to announce, you know, Walt was really excited about it. The Imagineers were excited about it.
0: At least they were Um, dedicated to bringing the land, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, In the following year, 1962, the scaffolding on the exterior of the Haunted Mansion uh, was finally removed uh, so that people could see the facade of the Haunted Mansion Seven years before it opened. Can you imagine that kind of like tease? A seven year know, tease? Oh my gosh. And
0: and uh, every moment of those seven years, Marty Sklar was there to spin it in an amazing way to just get people <laughs> more and more excited before yep. the
1: opening. Yep, absolutely. You know, I I think the exterior of the mansion is one of the most interesting things in the park history because, you know, there was a, a pretty defined standoff between Walt and the Imagineers that were working on the project. All of the Imagineers and artists really concepted it as a creepy, decrepit, broken down old house and Walt wanted that pristinely manicured, beautifully painted, crisp, clean, amazing look. And as we all know, Walt won yeah and I, for one can absolutely appreciate Walt's vision of that and I think it's it's so cool that we don't have the typical, you know dilapidated looking old house and we have this stately manor. i think it sets the stage and the contrast so much better so i'm glad that that happened but it's still hard to believe that people looked at that for seven years without being able to go in it's insane to me uh (laughs) all right so basically um as we know the the haunted mansion went through many iterations um, it was finally, though, Raleigh Crump who, who kind of hit on the right tone for the mansion. You know, it began with his Museum of the Weird and then just kind of snowballed from there and became what we know. Again, Hazen went through all of the history of that. And I totally encourage you to go back and listen to Episode 7. That's right. All the way back to Episode 7. Back in the olden of, days of the podcast. <laughs> of podcasteers. I remember it well. I was uh, very excited about this new podcast, Podcateers. It was my very first podcast that I ever listened to, and look where I am now. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Um, So right about that time um, is when the World's Fair um, kicked into full swing. And as we all know, Disney um, was commissioned to create several attractions, um, the, the two big ones that, that helped out, um, new Orleans square, were of course it's a small world with the boat system that eventually was updated and impl implanted into pirates. And then the Omni mover, which was used for the Ford magic skyway. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Uh, you know, which was further developed into, uh, many other ride systems throughout the park, but most notably the haunted mansion. Um, so that was kind of a delay in the process and that's why there's kind of an elongated history of New Orleans Square because a lot of Imagineering had to be sidetracked and put on the World's Fair projects. Um, so, you know, despite that in 1964, the show buildings for both Pirates and Haunted Mansion were created and around this time is when... Walt Disney basically blew up the ideas that were the original concepts for how guests would experience these two attractions. Basically, both attractions were originally conceived as walkthroughs. You know, the Pirates one being more of a wax museum type uh, attraction where you would walk through and see tableaus and scenes of pirate life and um, scalawaggery and whatnot waggery. <laughs> to to invent a word. <laughs> Hashtag <dang>, Scallywaggery. <laughs> <laughs> and the Haunted Mansion <laughs> would be something similar. You know, original concepts were, you know, walking through creepy hallways and, you know, there would be peepholes that you could look through and you'd see a scary something inside the peephole. Um, and Imagineers and Walt eventually realized that they could do so much more with, um, some of the technologies that they were really advancing with um, audio animatronics, and just the wizardry that the Imagineers were coming up with for special effects, and you know most of which went into the Haunted Mansion. So uh, it was it was interesting because if you look at the original uh, or the the first third of Pirates, when you go down the two waterfalls. And you go through all the sea caves and the grottos. That was actually the section where you were going to be walking through uh, the original pirates dioramas. And they basically had to redesign those walking paths as a boat scenario. And they had to hide all of the column, the support columns, in rock formations and stuff yeah. like that. So all those crazy rock formations, when you go through there, are really just there to cover up support beams. Uh, in just a big room uh, So I, they, they did some really clever things there Because it looks like it was designed that way You know, yeah. always meant to be that way uh, So they did some really cool stuff there um, In 1966 um, On July 24th New Orleans Square was actually opened And dedicated at a total cost of $15 million, which was about 90% of the cost of the entire park when it opened in 1955. I still hear um, that today. I know the number, and today I hear it, and it's still surprising to me. Yeah, that's called inflation, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Uh, but, you know, it was. it's interesting. We can kind of relate to it now with Galaxy's Edge opening with only one of its two attractions. Uh, of course, then that opened with no attractions, just yeah. some restaurants and shops um, but it speaks to how well designed the land was that it was an instant success um, it, it like I said before, it was Disneyland's first new land um, and it was uh, it was all designed specifically to be. A replica of the French Quarter in pre-Civil War New Orleans, so circa 1950, er, sorry 1850. Um, so uh, you know it's it's just so specific in its time frame and its uh, look, and what they did was just incredible. And like I said, it, it's been a favorite of guests since 1966 when it opened, and it really remains uh, a top you know, all of their lands. I think, um, John Hench described it really well when he said, uh, it's Disney realism, sort of utopian in nature, where we carefully program out all the negative unwanted elements and program in the positive elements. In fact, we even go beyond realism in some spaces to make a better show. The streets were much cleaner than new Orleans had ever experienced Frankly, if we created a total, perfect, authentic, themed experience where we had complete realism, it would probably be ghastly for contemporary people. <laughs> and I love that honesty. And, you know, there one of the legendary things that happened is that during the dedication ceremony, um, you know, Walt, uh, his VIP guest was the current mayor of New Orleans. And Walt famously on record... Uh, joked with him about how much cleaner his new Orleans was than the actual (laughs) new Orleans. Uh, it was very much a point of pride with him. Uh, when it opened, it had a few things in it, which are no longer there. Um, so one of them was, uh, it had the crystal shop, but the crystal shop was a much larger glass shop at the time and actually featured glass blowing. Uh, similar to uh, what the Aribis Brothers location has in Disney Springs where our buddy Jason works. Yeah. Um, it also had an antique shop, uh, a silversmith shop, a stained glass and wrought iron shop. Uh, so it had a bunch of like real working shops in it where you could buy, you know, interesting crafted things. The... The antique shop actually had some really, really valuable antiques in it at one point, um, including it had actual photographs of the Wright brothers uh, during a flight. And I think it was in Paris and they were valued like in the tens of thousands, like really valuable stuff. Yeah, they had a bunch of stuff there. I mean, it was a real antique store. That's and, cool. Yeah, and Walt and Lillian had amassed a bunch of it, and you know, it. I don't know how they populated the whole thing, but it was, it was actual antiques. It was all from Walt's garage, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that that would have been cool to see. I, I wish they still had some of that, um, you know. But that I understand the difficulties of having something like a silver shop you know, a silversmith shop, you know, there's, there's chemicals and there's odors and there's, you know, things that aren't necessarily very attractive. So they were sterilized out of the park. Um, Another interesting thing is that um, it opened with a completely mature canopy of trees. And what was cool about that is that, um, the trees actually came from Pershing Square in Los Angeles, mm. where in 1962, they were going through a remodel. And um, Disney became uh, aware of that and basically swooped in and said, uh, what are you doing with those trees? <laughs> and they, they grabbed them all and uh, they were able to plant those around New Orleans Square. So they had big, lush uh, trees from day one, which is kind of cool. You know, I, when you look at something like Cars Land now, a lot of those trees and cacti and bushes are really mature and look great now. But you look back on photographs in 2012, and it was just a bunch of baby trees. You know, yeah. it looks so much different now. So it's cool to know that they kind of started with mature growth trees yeah. in uh, New Orleans Square. Well, when the you other- think... When you think oh, also
0: what it looked like before when it was holiday land and it was just yeah. kind of that picnic area, right. it was just vacant. Like there was nothing yep. there. So the fact that they had all those trees and it, it looks so lush yeah. on opening day. That's yeah. it's really cool. I like that.
1: Yeah. They, they did another thing too, which I never knew until I did this research at the same time, they were working on the forthcoming remodel of Tomorrowland and the entrance of Tomorrowland at that time had a stand of cypress trees. Cypress trees are those long, tall, skinny, cone-shaped trees. Well, those are the ones that they moved to the side of the Haunted Mansion that divides it between uh, New Orleans Square and, uh, and what is now Splash Mountain. That row of cypress trees. Yeah, they were from Tomorrowland's entrance. That's cool, and they were man. moved in uh, the mid-60s. Nice. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. So time goes by, uh, almost a year goes by after the opening. And finally, Pirates of the Caribbean opens in March of 1967. And then a month later, Club 33 finally opens. And then finally, in 1969, we're, we're coming up on it. It's coming up soon, the 50th anniversary uh, August 9th, 1969, the Haunted Mansion finally opened. And for the most part, except for a few shops and, and some restaurant rethemings, it's stayed mostly intact. You know, yeah. it's it's been fairly untouched. You know, the attractions have been partially plused here and there. And I, I think most of those plussings have been really good. Uh, I, I enjoy pretty much all of them. Uh, You know, the the one thing that that many people just don't get to see and may never get to see is Club 33. Um, You know, I'm not going to step on the toes of the next episode, but, you know, it it is one of the most interesting things that I've ever known of in my life. Uh, It's it's a crazy, exclusive place that exists in one of the most public places iconic places ever. So it's, it's this weird juxtaposition. Um, and, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, I've always wanted to go and, uh, I, I'm pretty sure one day I'll get to go and experience it. And I look forward to that day, but you know, in, in my final thoughts are just that, New Orleans Square still feels explorable to this day to me. I still every once in a while get the urge to just stroll around and make sure I see all the nooks and crannies because, you know, little things here and there change from time to time and little window displays and, you know, things in the shops change. And it just feels like you can walk around in there and spend a whole day. Really, you know, you can have meals there. You can sit and listen to jazz music on the on the. Um, uh, esplanade you can you know ride attractions you can get a caricature done you can shop there's just so much going on in that little land that it it feels explorable you know i i kind of had the same feeling when we went to galaxy's edge that i could come back here and explore many many times yeah and as many times as i've been to new orleans square i still feel like that sometimes you know like Oh, I haven't gone down, you know, Orleans Street in a while. Let me let me check that out again, you know, yeah. and just see what it feels like. It 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 really is spectacular, and it's gonna be hard for it to to be beat in my book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's so much about New Orleans Square that feels newly repeatable. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to to coin that phrase, it's just. <laughs> You know, you go down Main Street, but I I think the difference with Main Street is that because it's the first visual of the park, you tend to see that a lot more than you do anything else in the park, unless you make a beeline for a particular area. New Orleans Square, like you said, the crowd levels are so much less than they are anywhere else that it is that hidden gem. And I think because of the fact that you know that it has that additional magic of Club 33 and now uh, 21 Royal, you know, the dream Mm -hmm. suite, which used to be the Disney Gallery, like all that additional magic that's part of New Orleans Square makes it feel just more mystical than other lands in the park because there's that tiny touch that additional touch that walt had in the area right the little touch of club 33 the little touch of him and and lillian going and getting all the things to adorn you know new orleans square after their trip down to louisiana yeah it's just there's so much about it that's that's just that plus you know, of everything yeah. else in the park. So I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> how it makes you feel. You know, you could sit down, grab yourself some Mickey Bingays and listen to that jazz mm. band, just have at it for like all afternoon, you yep. know? And, and I could just enjoy listening to the train, listening to the band, the smells coming from the French market. It's just, right. ah, it's, it's delightful to just sit there and enjoy
1: the ambiance of New Orleans Square absolutely you reminded me of of one of one detail that i wanted to mention and then uh, you know i had one more thing that i wanted to mention after that because we could basically do this for the next four hours and never run out of things to say about the square <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you mentioned the train and there's a couple interesting facts about the new orleans train station um the first fact is that that train station that you see across the tracks, the little the little station that sits over there, is actually used in the film for the Lincoln attraction. So when he's at a train station uh, in that film, it's that little train station set that they used. I just learned the other something. cool thing Sweet. about that is you can hear a telegraph message being tapped out on a telegraph. Yeah. And what they're actually telegraphing there is Walt's opening day speech which is awesome. Yeah, which makes me want to learn Morse code so bad. Right? Just so that I can sit there and
0: live interpret that in my brain. Yeah, absolutely. Just for that.
1: Uh, The other big cool thing is, you know, when we were talking about our our lunch date uh, bucket list, I, I talked a little bit about Tony Baxter and how it would be so amazing to have lunch with him and, you know, how he always tells his story about, you know, in his early days at the park, uh, poking his head into Pirates of the Caribbean and basically getting the chance to be um, a sandbag and test to test out the ride. You know, they needed ballast for the boats, so he got to sit in in Pirates and and ride it for free for a while. Um, but many years later, actually two decades later, um, he got to leave his own signature on the Pirates attraction. Do you know what he did to update that attraction? In the 80s? Oh, in the 80s. Yeah.
0: Um, Let me think back. Let me think back. All I can think about is people in really neon clothes dancing (laughs) from a splash mountain.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, it's kind of a trick question uh, because it's actually a redevelopment of the front cue Of the attraction, so when the attraction opened, the you would walk right up to that door. You walk into uh, into the building. Yeah, that was all flat ground. So you'd walk out of Adventureland just, and there was kind of a slope up to the door of Pirates that went down towards the Rivers of America. Well, when they began developing Phantasmic, they needed to redesign that area so that they could accommodate. Crowds around the rivers of America, and also this queue for pirates. So, Tony uh. designed that whole pedestrian overpass, and then the double queue design that comes out underneath it and then spirals up into that area like nice. something like quadrupling the amount of people you could coil through that area, and then also giving a walkover overpass for people that weren't going to either pirates or phantasmic so if it wasn't for that redesign which i think is a genius architectural element involved there uh if it wasn't for that that would be the ultimate bottleneck of all time you know without having that passover and you know the the redesigned entrance so i thought that was really cool that he finally got to come back and and leave his mark on that attraction that really kind of Launched him into his creative uh, endeavors with Disney. Wow, that's cool. For some reason, yeah. I thought it was something on the attraction
0: itself. Yeah,
1: no, it was kind of a trick question. Yeah, Yeah. that's cool, man. I like that. <laughs> but that's I remember my earliest trip there; it was still that entrance, right up to, uh, right up to the door. So, it, oh, it, interesting. Yeah, it's weird when you look at pictures of it back then because you know there's no ramps or anything it's just flat ground with with a bit of a slope to it i'm wondering what year did that happen um i don't have the year in front of me if it
0: was in the late 80s when it was already done or it was in construction uh, i may not have experienced the old entrance because i think by the time that we went Mm -hmm. uh, if i remember correctly i may have been old enough for that to have been finished got it yeah, I, I'm going to find some photos of this, and I'm going to put them in the blog post for the episode. Pocketeers.com slash 263 if you guys want to check that out. Uh, There's several websites I know that have really great archives, like Yesterland is one of the best websites to see oh, some yeah. of these old photographs. Oh, I love going there and just peeking through the lands and just seeing the progression of how things were built and, and everything that's gone and everything that's you know new in the lands. So uh, I'll see if I can uh, repost some of the pictures from there. But if you've never had a chance to visit Yesterland.com, I'd strongly suggest it. It's one of the best photographic archives of Disneyland available today, outside Mm -hmm. of the Disney archive itself, of course. Right. Oh, there's just
1: so much magic to New Orleans Square. There really is. And, you know, with these kind of compressed segments, it's hard to narrow things down because... With a land like that, you know, the history is is as richly detailed as the land itself, really. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk about. I mean, we didn't even talk about the Blue Bayou, which is the coolest restaurant within an attraction like ever. It's so cool. (laughs) You know
0: what's funny about these segments is that it's difficult to to select the item like you mentioned it earlier you know you talked about how we already kind of did the history of the haunted mansion we kind of already did the history of pirates of the caribbean uh, for mm. one episode but it's always difficult to know what to re add because obviously everybody listening hasn't heard the archive of our episodes sure. they may not know the stories and so you want to provide enough information so that you can do the land or the attraction or whatever you're talking about justice but not so much that you're repeating all of the history that you already talked about in another episode. Right. And yep. so this whole time I'm thinking, is he going to mention the little brick wall? Is he going to mention the little brick wall? Cause I mean, I mean, that was a really important part of New Orleans square. Is he going to mention the little brick wall? And there was no mention of the little brick wall. And I'm just thinking like, okay, well, I mean, he's talking about the mansion's anniversary. He's talking about pirates and how we're I'm like, look, talk about the little brick wall. And So overall, uh, there is some, But I remember talking about that brick wall when we talked about it in the Pirates episode. So mm-hmm, I don't want to mm-hmm. get too far into it. But if you guys <laughs> know what I'm briefly talking about, there's a segment of walkway in between the rivers of America and the upper portion of New Orleans Square. And there's a tiny brick wall with a year that says like 1793, if I'm not mistaken. Is it 1793? Uh, something like that. Something that like sounds that. Right. I don't yeah. remember the exact year. But there's this like little brick wall that's like it doesn't look like it's a part of it it looks like it was just haphazardly you know bricked up and that was supposed to be a connecting tunnel between Tom Sawyer Island and the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction and Haunted Mansion when it was meant to be a walkthrough and there was this whole story about Captain Gore and all this stuff that ties in New Orleans Square in a deeper way than it's currently tied in today and I think part of the reason maybe for us, I, I I feel like maybe for us it feels so new every time we go because we enjoy the attractions that are a part of the land and we love the history and the concepts that went into the creation of the land. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could be wrong. I would love to hear from everybody listening, you know, if they feel the same way that we do when they're in New Orleans Square or if they feel a little bit differently. Or maybe you feel like that in a different land. And, you know, yeah. let us know if it's a different land and why you feel like that. But maybe because we have this connection to pirates and this connection to the mansion. We have that just like extra bit of magic in our hearts whenever yeah. we're in that area, you know? hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I know Mel would be saying the same thing. Yeah. And especially because of the mansion, so.
1: I mean it it's crazy because uh it's just so enticing, you know, every time. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't seem to pale ever. Yeah. You know, I I mean there were there were a few moments where I had some issues with the uh Club 33 uh, remodel that happened a few years ago and some of the exterior changes that made a few parts of new orleans square look a little different but you know i've come to terms with a lot of it and overall it didn't really change the mood and the magic of the land itself yeah uh other than that it's like it's just such a perfect land you know it, it's so well done and, you know, I, I think it did originally set the bar and it's still in many ways is the bar for a lot of types of lands. You know, it, it's not the same kind of thing as Pandora, World of Avatar or Galaxy's Edge. Those are kind of different uh, beasts altogether. But in many ways, like it's the Hogsmeade before Hogsmeade, you know. It's a very specific location that is even more challenging than a fantasy location that we saw on film like Hogsmeade because it's a real place. And that's
0: what I was going to say that I think you hit it on the nose when you said earlier that it's so grounded in reality that it feels attainable. Right. Everything else just feels like a land that you're visiting outside of what's normal to you. Sure. If we can call anything normal. I'm just, I mean... Right.
1: (laughs) 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 Man, that was good. Uh, It's it's always fun to do these because it just gets me hyped to go back and experience it all over again.
0: I know, especially with five-minute crowds. Right? With five-minute queues everywhere. Yeah.
1: We need to capitalize on this summer. This summer, I think, is going to be a golden summer for annual Passover. For real. The summer of AP.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: you know, I was really hoping that for the, for the anniversary of the mansion, uh, they would bring back something special to Mm -hmm. the Haunted Mansion. They would somehow make space. You know, we saw it happen with the Return of the Hatbox Ghost for Disneyland's 60th anniversary. Mm -hmm. But because it's such a, a milestone anniversary for the mansion, you know, it's so easy to add something like the Candleman. You know, that Mm -hmm. Rolly had concepted so many years ago or uh, come up with maybe a door that swings open or like a a projection of, you know, the sea captain that Rolly had worked on. That was what impressed Walt and Yale and everybody. And Mm -hmm. uh, I I don't think that we're going to get anything for the anniversary of the mansion. I don't know, man. I
1: don't know, because you remember when they unveiled Red at pirates last year well they added a whole other little vignette with audio animatronics and a special effect which nobody knew about until that morning so i could see them pulling something off here that's a total secret that will surprise people you know what
0: makes that different though that where they placed red is already, like, pre-built staging. You know, they didn't right. have to build anything out for it like they did for the Hatbox Ghost. And because of how the mansion is built, I feel like they would have had to board something up in order to make something like that happen already.
1: I mean, maybe. I, I know what you're saying, but... Um, And I was referring to actually the the pirate in the basket with the octopus. Oh, like they added that. That was a total secret. Right. Yeah. But of course, they did shut the whole attraction down for a couple weeks or a few weeks to do that. Right. But if we're talking about just installing a character into the haunted mansion, if they've got the place mapped out, you can work on the wiring and the infrastructure and just hide it with props during you know, the the times yeah. that the park is open. And really it just takes an overnight install if everything's tested correctly. And True. I don't know, I mean I'll be at that fiftieth anniversary party in the middle of the night and if there's anything Dude, new and you get a text something, at two AM in the morning from oh, me, read that text. <laughs> you know what?
0: I'm just I'm just gonna be attentive on my phone i'm not going to go to sleep till you go home okay Okay. which is probably going to be the case anyway because i'm a night owl when it comes to working on stuff so right 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 (laughs) i can see that oh well as much as i would like to continue our talks on new orleans square we will continue them next week when we talk about club 33 yes i'm so excited for that i i know how you're feeling (laughs) <laughs> I, I know you're telling There's me too like, much history Dang, you've, you've done it already, but just know that if I had the ability to take us into club 33, you'd be on my, on my list of friends that nice. I would take in with me. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Back at you. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, before we close up the episode, uh, I, like I said earlier, we'd love to hear your thoughts, you know, on how New Orleans Square makes you feel. Is it one of those places where you just like to go and sit down and enjoy a relaxing afternoon while you listen to some music and some beignets? Uh, maybe a, a gumbo, a bread bowl. Ooh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe you like uh, the Monte Cristo, which surprisingly enough, I wasn't able to finish because it's just <laughs> so rich. I took the challenge and I didn't believe VJ and I just didn't finish it.
1: It's insane, man. I'm just saying. But it's so tasty. Yep. I want one now. So delicious. It's a four person sandwich. It's for real, but it's so good. (laughs) So good.
0: Uh, So, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if there's absolutely another land that you like to frequent that makes you feel the same, we'd love to hear that, too. So join the conversation over on Facebook, Instagram or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers and let us know which land you prefer. Um, One quick announcement before we close up the podcast for today. Uh, As you guys notice, Melissa's not here today. And, you know, I contemplated talking about this earlier in the podcast, but Melissa is actually going to be taking a short hiatus from the podcast. Uh, She, if you follow her on Instagram, she posted that her mother has been very ill. And so she's going to be staying with her for some time to help her, you know, through this. And so... Uh, You know, we all talked about it, and Mel, you have our 125% support all the way through this. So just know that we're here for you, uh, the listeners are here for you, and you know, whatever you want to throw out into the universe, whether it's positive thoughts or prayers or pixie dust or whatever you want, uh, we are throwing all of that out towards you and your mom and your family while you stay with her as she gets better Just wanted to make that announcement in case you're wondering and in case you don't hear Mel in in some upcoming episodes. But uh, the good news is that she will be very active on social media. She's one of our primary posters to Instagram, Facebook and everything. She does an amazing job with that. So if you want to connect with her, obviously that's going to be the best way to do it. Uh, So I just wanted to throw that out there just in case anybody was wondering going forward. Uh, Gavin and I will be uh, primarily taking the helm as co-hosts until Mel is able to come back or until AJ or VJ come back. But in the meantime, we're going to be working on getting other hosts, maybe even some surprise guest hosts that you thought wouldn't be on the podcast. And uh, if we can make that happen, I think it's going to be super fun. So. (laughs) All right. Anything else before we close up shop for today,
1: Gavin? Uh, no, I'm. I'm just ready to go have some beignets and some frites and some gumbo and ride pirates until I and can't a stand it. Monte mm.
0: <laughs> All that cheesy goodness. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, that's gonna wrap it up. So until next time, keep dreaming. Keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Made you look.